Welcome to the Leaders of Lasting Impact podcast. My name is Matt Pohl, founder of the Rewild Group. We believe that as a fundamental part of the human experience, that work is not only essential, it's valuable, that work matters. That's why we're on a mission to multiply the number of exceptional businesses globally. We want business owners and their employees to thrive at work. Thanks for joining us for another episode where we discuss stories of how leaders are having a lasting impact on small and mid-sized businesses. Welcome to the Leaders of Lasting Impact podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pohl. I'm pleased to be joined today by David Safir. He's the founder of Cash is Clear Learning System, and he's in Utah. Uh, thanks for joining us today, David. I'm really glad to be here today, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's it's our pleasure. Uh, we, uh, on this podcast, we really try to highlight people who are doing great things with small and mid-sized businesses. And we saw your what you're doing, and we're excited to to share that with our audience. Um, so I'm glad you're able to, to join us today. Um, maybe let's start off with just a little bit about a background. What Tell us a little bit about the journey um, to where you're at today. I'd love to. I started out in corporate America. And now I work with small and medium-sized businesses. And where's the gap? Well, in corporate America, it was great. I worked, I got a paycheck. And I didn't have to worry about if the company ran out of money. I worked for really big companies like Kodak, Morgan Stanley. I worked for Seagate, which some people may or may not know. Yeah, Big, big companies. And I was very fortunate that I was able to get promotions and get to the point where I was a general manager. In other words, I ran the profit and loss for an entire division. Okay. And so I was able to learn on somebody else's dime how to increase profits and all the little triggers. And that was my job, sell profitably. Well, then I got laid off again. Now, it wasn't my fault. It's the computer industry. And it just happens. The computer industry goes through these cycles. And I had to lay off people. I got laid off. And I said, I don't want to go back. I was traveling up to 40 times a week. Uh, not a week, a year. And I started working with small businesses because people asked me. I've been already doing it as a side thing because I people knew me. And I realized all these people had one thing in common. They had cash flow issues. Okay. Now, they didn't say it was cash flow issues. They said, we need to grow sales or we, we can't figure out why we're losing money. Um, we were profitable last year. And I realized that everything I learned in big business, I could translate into small and medium-sized businesses. But that a lot of the operators, a lot of the both the business owners, as well as their support people, didn't have the exposure to understand a lot of tricks and strategies that you learn in big business. Okay. Okay. So that was your transition from that huge corporate part of America's economy to start and help uh, small, mid-sized businesses. Have you enjoyed that transition? How long, how long ago did that transition take place? Uh, it'll be, it's 18 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah. So that's been a good transition, obviously, if you're still at it. It's been a very, I enjoy, nothing gives me more pleasure 
than helping business owners who are struggling turn around and start having enough cash and a plan to continue having enough cash to grow. Okay. That's what I get a kick out of from a business perspective. I, and I, even as I said it, I like my wife and my family a lot more, <laughs> um, but from a business perspective, I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Yeah, no, I, I can see why you would, you know, to be able to help a business owner who's working their butt off, you know, trying to do everything right and still mm -hmm. is missing a little bit of the the missing ingredient, right? The secret ingredient to get them to a place where they have more cash and can be get just more breathing room, right? Just a right. breathing room at first and then enough cash, extra capital that they can grow their business. It's true. And Matt, if I can give you a myth that's out there. Yeah. And, and it's looking at the top line all the time. Mm -hmm. What is the news report on? Sales. Right. Very, very rarely do you ever hear about profitability. Right. Um, and what do the gurus talk about? There's tons of people out there saying, sell more, improve your cash flow, sell more. Right. Well, unless you've got a free product, information products are there. Most of the time, when you sell more, you end up spending more money before the additional cash comes in. Mm. It, especially if you're trying to grow your business. Right, right. Can I can I give you an example or two? Yeah, no, please do. All right. I'm going to do really simple examples, but people can extrapolate to themselves, right? Their okay. own business. Let's say you're in a service business and what you're doing is cleaning offices. Okay. And you get a contract. You get a big new contract and you need to hire five more people. Right. Well, let's say it's frictionless and there's zero cost of hiring, which in most cases is not true, but you need to hire five new people and you need to hire them approximately one week early so they can get trained and either the new people go into existing customers. Right. Or, right, so you gotta get some training under your belt, even if it's cleaning. We right. all know how to clean, but it's different when you're doing industrial. Right. Most contracts for cleaning services bill once a month and it's after 30 days. So you've hired somebody and now maybe you pay them once a month. And so you have to pay them after 30 days, but usually that receivable is another 30 days. So you could have to carry the salaries for if you pay people every two weeks, that ends up being what, 45 days, 30 to 45, or even 50 days, depending on the cycles. Right. So you have to have the cash to invest in your company. Right. So most companies can't sell their way out of, of cash flow problems. Right, right. No, that makes sense, right? It's when's the money coming in, the cash flow, right? Ins and outs right. and the outs go come before the ins. And can you survive that? Can yeah. you survive? Right. You can sell yourself right into, into closing your business, right? The biggest problems I see are with rapidly growing companies. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They're the hardest ones to fix, mm. believe it or not. 
because they've got obligations versus companies that are stable, but the profits are going down. What's going on are stable, but we're not bringing as much cash. That's a whole different ballgame mm-hmm. because you don't have to deal with the increasing costs and the contract obligations. Right, right. Very interesting. Are there particular industries or size of businesses that you tend to focus on or have more success with? Um, that's a great question. I'll uh, talk about the focus um, and then more success. My focus is on businesses at around a million dollars minimum, of maybe $2 million, just because I know what it costs to hire me. I right, actually have right. people that I've worked with and trained that work with smaller companies, Okay. Um, okay. right? Because a half million dollar company still has its $45,000 a month that they can still have real cash flow issues. You've right. got employees and who knows what else. Um, up to about $20 million is where my sweet spot is that I work with. There's a lot of commonalities. Now, from a success standpoint, I was I, I run a mastermind for um, accountants and bookkeepers. And I was just saying this morning that I can find $100,000 of value out of any company, a million dollars or more. Okay. There's... There, I. I've got 200 plus strategies to to um, implement. Not all strategies work for everybody, right? But the majority of them that improve cash flow also improve profitability. Okay. And so even if the company's running smoothly, I can probably find a dozen to two dozen additional strategies to increase cash flow, increase profitability. Okay. But that being said. Anybody who's got inventory, I end up having huge success with. Why? Because inventory creates another layer of problems. Okay. Which means there's another layer of opportunities. Okay. And so whether you're a manufacturer, a distributor, a combination of the two, that you're holding inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have actually never worked with a retail location but the principles are the same and the strategies are the same. It's just, are they applicable to that particular situation? Okay. So inventory intensive businesses have just another layer, like you said, of complexity, another piece yeah. of costs uh, involved in their business. And that gives you even a, a few more tricks that you can pull out. Yeah. And I'd love to give you an example. Um Okay. So there's two pieces of the example. One is this is an emotional issue for people. It's easy to give advice for your own business or sorry, for somebody else's business and know what the common sense is. But right. once it's your own business, it's really tough to make decisions. I've dealt with multiple companies that have tried to have secondary businesses. They have a core business. Right. And one um, one has a core business dealt with outdoor products okay. Um, okay. for uh, vehicles, like off-road vehicles. Okay. And they said, all right, we're going to bring in some winches because what do outdoor pro- vehicles need? They need winches to get them out of a ditch. Sure. Well, they had winches that were three, four, five years old. They were brand new and they didn't sell. And they were taking up space in the warehouse. Right. So we 
calculated out, it was costing them approximately $25,000 a year for the warehouse space. And every time they had to move those, those winches, it would, took time out of people's lives. And so why don't we just sell these and drop them to cost or below cost and sell them to somebody else? Oh, no. Here's the emotional part. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose money. Okay. I know you're going to lose money, but remember, we're trying to make payroll next week. But it'll create a loss. And it was like, well, go talk to your tax guy. That is not necessarily a bad thing. You'll get cash in for something that's been sitting there for three, four, five years. But it's emotionally difficult to admit that you've made a mistake, that right. your 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 ten thousand dollars in inventory is only worth eight thousand dollars, and it's a little piece of failure. But it's not because what the real failure is is not recognizing the problem and fixing it. Right. Right. No, that's, and I'm sure that's just a little microcosm of some of the worst cases you've seen you know, where large sections of of uh, warehouses are filled with obsolete inventory. Yes, that's that's right. Well, and sometimes it's not obsolete. They overpurchased. Mm. So much of this is a mental game. Can I tell you another story? Yeah. So imagine a store that does about $2 million in sales, but they've got a million dollars in inventory. Wow. Yeah, and they're not rotating it. It's not like, you know, if you did a ton of rotation, maybe. No, we're talking too much inventory. And um, and so we had to really work on the mindset of selling stuff at cost and just to move it along. But I said, so, but no. Where's the root cause of this problem? Why are you buying so much? It's like, well, we're buying so much so we can get the additional discount because we get a volume discount. Right. It's like, okay, but you realize your volume discount is killing you. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, but you know, it's an extra 2% to the bottom line. It's like, how much are you paying on interest on these loans that if you didn't have the inventory, it's a heck of a lot more than the 2% you're saving every year. Okay, so why are you doing this? What are you going to do? But, but then I won't be a, a platinum dealer. So why do you need to be a platinum dealer? Well, because it's prestigious. And so my customers know. Do you think that the customers really need to know that you're platinum or they trust you or it's because you're you're nearby? Well. David, the real issue is that there's a competitor down the road who sells a different brand, but he's a platinum dealer. So I need to be a platinum dealer also. So after digging and digging and digging, it was pure ego was the real root. Wow. These are the types of interesting things that you find when you're trying to dig out and figure out why there's fundamental issues with the business. Yeah, that's that's intriguing. Yeah. Um, would you say there's a certain kind of symptoms that you see or challenges in, in your clients where you add a lot of value? What might be one or two or three 
of the top symptoms or challenges that uh, business owners might be facing that your cash flow process could help with? Matt, that's a really good question because most of the time the symptoms aren't the root cause. And so it's, and, they, and people don't say I have a cash flow issue. Here's some of the things that you might hear. Number one is I'm having challenges making payroll, which is often the largest expense, or making rent, which is the second largest expense. Okay. Right? okay. Those two things, um, that's one. Number two is increasing debt without significant increasing sales, without a plan of why that debt is increasing. The difference is you can make intentional investments into your business, right? but right. oftentimes it's like, well, the credit card balances are creeping up. Creeping, yeah. Red flag, credit card, red flag. Um, so that's another one. Um, fundamentally, we already talked about my sales are growing really, really quickly, period. They don't even have to see the financial problems. If they're not planning for it, they will happen eventually. Right. Okay. So, so it, it's not necessarily, um, like you said, it's not necessarily a business whose sales are flat or going down. The The quickly accelerating sales scenario is one of the most challenging from a cash flow. Absolutely. And you you won't see it and then it'll hit like a brick wall. Okay. Now, that being said, declining sales or flat sales. I had one client, we were able to do a huge amount of great work. They had relatively flat sales, but profits were going down and he couldn't figure out why. Okay. So that's another symptom is, well, the profits are going down. Not sure what's going on. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sure that those symptoms, like you said, they're surface symptoms, but that's what's usually easiest to see for a business owner. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sure many will will relate to that. Um, <clears throat> it sounds like your solution um, really comes out of a lot of what you learned in the corporate world. Um, is it kind of a, a package deal now or is it, you know, kind of a framework or is it a little bit kind of still in the brain uh, David's brain, uh, as far as how how you solve problems for clients. If you had asked me this four years ago, it was all in my, my brain. But I have been documenting everything, and I've come up with a five pillar system to help companies move forward, and it, it is systematized. So, do you mind if I run through the five steps? Yeah, please do. Yeah, please share. So, first thing is we've already talked about is mindset. You've got to open up your mind. Stop looking backwards and start looking forward and what you want to happen and start thinking in terms of cash, not in terms of sales and profits on an accounting report. Okay. Accounting reports can be deceptive. We don't have enough time to get into the details. But if you are somebody's listening to this right now and you really want to see a much better reflection of your finances, run the reports in cash basis accounting mm. because accrual based accounting is very deceptive and right. it's very right. difficult to unwind. So there's this mindset be, behind that. So that's number one. Number two is modeling out cash flow. What, is it, what does it look like? Just the basics without changing anything. 
Mm-hmm. When is the money coming in? Do you have seasonality by quarter, by month, by week during the month? Because that'll impact your cash coming in. And then what is your what are your expenses look like? When do they go out? What's the periodicity of that? Because we know that sometimes, well, both payroll and rent being due on the first of the month can create cash crunches unless you're prepared. So you're trying to find out these patterns. Okay. So that's modeling. Number two, or that's number three is managing cash flow. What does that mean? You mean simple movement. You move payroll's tough to move, but you might be able to move rent to the 15th of the, of the month to flatten out your what's coming, what's going out. Right. Or look for the peaks and the valleys in your um in your income and say, okay, we can run specials when we're flat. Um, one example is I worked with a service-based company that repaired lawnmowers, chainsaws, snowblowers. They had two peaks during the year. And that's when the snow fell or when the lawns needed to be cut for the first time. Right. And they had these tremendous dips in between that they had to pay very highly trained professionals to sit and basically do nothing. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, and, and they turned around, bi- turned away business during, during the busy. busy time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a simple marketing campaign. Listen, we would like to offer you a discount if you bring in your stuff on the off season, right? Right. You're trying to bring it in because it does two things. A, it fills up your bucket during the off season, but you don't have to turn away as much business. You can You can still maintain that maximum capacity. Right, right. Simple, but but yeah, very impactful, so, right? Right, and this is managing your cash flow. I mean, that's a macro level. Micro level would be move your phone bill from the first of the month to the 15th of the month. It's easy to do. All right, so next step four, and there's only five, so they'll be quick, is mentoring. You need, I as a professional mentor people, but within the company, it's more than just the finance department and the business owner. It's got to be everybody involved. Everybody impacts cash flow. Number five is maximization. And this is where it gets exciting is that you can implement proactive maximization strategies that help you increase your cash flow. When that was actually the one we talked about, we're bringing service in. That's actually, a, that's a maximization strategy. But, and Almost every single one that maximizes cash flow also increases profits. So this is an activity that actually pays for itself mm-hmm. as you're implementing it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I can see that because you're bringing in marginal revenue. You have you have a lot of fixed costs. Mm-hmm. So if you can bring in additional revenue that is profitable, has margins on it, you know, most of that's going to drop to the bottom line. Uh, so, yeah, I'd love to give you one other maximization strategy yeah. that yeah. everybody, everybody who's listening can implement this one. Anybody here who's only has one bank account for their business and it's a checking account that's earning zero interest, go to your bank, open up a second account. It's a savings account and put the extra cash into your savings account. Right. And get one or two or three percent interest. It's not much, 
but it it also helps with a couple of other strategies to have a separate bank account. But right. that's a maximization strategy that it's amazing how few businesses have more than one checking account. Well, yeah, bank yeah, account. Yeah. 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 And my experience is that business checking accounts, it may be regulation, don't don't pay interest. So um, you know, if you have a significant balance that you're kind of keeping just to get you through these bad times, it's just sitting there and and you're not earning anything where in today's uh, market, you can get a decent amount of a decent interest on that today. Right. And it's not going to make you rich, but it's better than doing nothing. Okay. Okay. That's a simple one. Um, you've, you've shared some anecdotes, but, um, Maybe there's a a particular client story that you can share uh, different than ones you've you've alluded to. You know that that you had really a major impact that you can say there's this lasting impact that you made on this small or mid-sized business. Yeah, I I would love to share that, and it it was well it was actually part of the business that i've already mentioned with the service the department okay. Um, okay when when i got to the business um the business owner looked at me and i mean he had tears in his eyes and he handed me his pnl and said i don't understand this my my um accountant said that i made 2.1 million dollars in sales last year with a $250,000 profit. But I don't know where any of my cash is and I don't know how I'm going to make payroll in two weeks. Mm. And I was basically his final hope. It was, right, you don't make payroll and you've got 10 people, 20, 15 people and they're trained professionals. You're basically shutting your business down. Right. And I said, okay, let's get to work. Um, I was pretty inexperienced at the time, so I was a little bit nervous. (laughs) Um, And what it came down to is that accrual accounting, as far as I'm concerned, is a cruel system for small business owners. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I asked him, what did your accountant say? They said, my accountant can't explain it to me. He has no idea. Well, the part of the challenge was he was a tax only accountant. They're not trained. And so, but that's part of the problem. Over the course of two or three weeks, we figured out there was excess capacity and the service department was one example. There was stuff that wasn't returned that could be sold. Um, Sorry, that was repaired, but not picked up. That could just be sold at much higher profits than selling something brand new. Um, The the economics are amazing. And again, this was psychological. Don't sell your new stuff. Sell the stuff that people dropped off and you fixed and you can sell for a half price, you'll make more money. Wow, yeah. And it's tough. Um, He had inventory issues. He had off the book assets that were worth Tens of thousands of dollars. They could he traded them, but never went on to the books. And I learned about this walking around the yard, the big mm-hmm. storage area. And like, what's that? It's a diesel generator. And I'm not talking, people can't see my hands, 
but it, diesel generators are huge. It was the size of a train car. Okay. And I said, so what's that there for? And he's, and I was like, and I had already seen his balance sheet. There was no diesel generator on the balance. Oh yeah. I traded that in a couple of years ago to somebody. I said, well, why don't you sell it? So, well, I don't have time. Okay. It's that's your payroll in two weeks. Right. Can, you, can we make the time? Can you make the time? Can you make the time? And part of it is, and for anybody who's listening, it's getting creative of who and what you can sell it to. You can put it on Craigslist. You can call up a company that rents this stuff for a living. There's companies out there and say, hey, I've got a digital generator. It's in okay condition. Do you want to buy it from me? Hmm. There's all sorts of creative ways you can't. But he was in a retail business, so he thinks about selling retail. So retail, right? And a lot of I was lucky and fortunate to work with a lots of different types of businesses. And there's ideas from industries that cross pollinate right. into other ones that they don't just don't do, not because of rules or regulations, but because of ignorance. Right. Um. So. Long story. I mean, I've I've been speaking for a while. Let me tell you the results. I was it was a full time engagement for about three weeks. By the end, they went from two days of cash in the bank to thirty days of cash in the bank, which was still not great. Right, but that's a huge difference in in just three weeks. Yes. Right. And we had implemented multiple plans. Inventory was da- down, levels were down. Um, we had, There was a strategy in place that there should never be another cash crunch like they had. And including how do you buy properly? Um, how do you make sure you're focused on the right things to sell? How do you get rid of, he had another chunk of dead inventory that had been there for three years. What's that? We bought it three years ago and we sold two and this is the other 10 that we can't sell. Right. You can sell it. It's just, you don't want to give up. You just don't want to go low enough. Right. Right. So anyhow, there, there it is. And it made an ongoing difference in that business. His son was involved with the business who was taking over the business. So he got impacted as well. Okay. And, and probably 15 jobs were saved. Okay. And 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 a significant amount of debt was continued to be paid off as a result, right? Somebody goes bankrupt. Yeah, it's not just yeah. them; it's their family. So you got fifteen people times three family members. You've got creditors that don't get paid, and so it was very rewarding. And they were able to continue their business. Wow, that's that's outstanding. Um, if you were to share a word of advice. You know, is there kind of one thing that you could really help? Uh, I mean, you've talked a little bit about mindset uh, was one thing, but is there kind of a word of advice that uh, if you were sitting across the table from a group of small, mid-sized business owners that you could share from y- your years of of uh, experience, what, what might you share with them? The one piece of advice I would say is that you have to be okay looking at financials. Nobody should be expected to become a financial expert 
when that's not why they started their business. But you need to become comfortable and be able to understand your numbers and hire somebody as soon as you can that can help you. Um, and I'm going to piggyback that with what I already talked about. Look at cash basis accounting when you're a small business. Right. IRS doesn't require you to move to accrual accounting until you have $25 million in revenue. And by that point in time, you'll have people who can advise. Okay. So stay on cash accrual and stay on cash accounting, avoid accrual. It simplifies things. It gives you a more accurate picture of what's going on in the business. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's great. David, um, I'm sure there's some small and mid-sized business owners who have heard what you said and are like, okay, I, I need some help with cash flow. Uh, what's the best way for people to reach you? So the easiest way, I'm going to give you my phone number. It's, okay. It's country code one. I'm in the United States, area code 801-510-3566. I am serious that if you've got an issue, you can send me a text, you can send me a WhatsApp, or I would encourage you to pick up the phone. If I don't answer, leave me a message and I will get back to you. Okay. Now, if you're okay. bashful, can I give them another one? Yeah, no, way? go ahead Go ahead and uh, give uh, them other options. Yeah, so that would be, send me an email, david at davidsafir.com or hop onto my website, davidsafir.com and you can schedule a call with me. Um, those are all ways to get in touch. Okay, that's great. Again, if you want to get a hold of David, he's giving you a phone number. It's uh, country code one for the US, 801 510-3566. That's his direct line. Call him. He's a nice guy. He's not going to sell to you. He's, he wants to help you. So just give him a call. You can text him as well. And then uh, his website is David Safir. David spelled as it normally is, but Safir is S-A-F-E-E-R. Safir. DavidSafir.com. Um, you can reach him through his website as well. Okay, David. Well, that was great. Great to hear about what you're doing in this space and uh, really appreciate you being our guest. I want to thank all of our podcast listeners for listening in again. I'm hoping as a small business, medium-sized business, that you've got something from David today that has uh, piqued your interest, that he can help you improve your business. That's what we're about on this podcast. So we hope you'll join us for the next podcast uh, and you have a good day. Bye. Matt Pohl here. Thank you for watching this episode of Leaders of Lasting Impact. If you're a successful business advisor, I encourage you to go to leaders.rewildgroup.com where you can learn how to be a guest on our show. If you enjoyed the episode, please share on social media. You can also tag people that you think might be a good guest for our show. Just be sure to use hashtag Leaders of Lasting Impact so we can see your comments and suggestions. We release episodes on a regular basis, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Finally, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews. Those go a long way with promoting our podcast. It really means a lot to me and our team. Learn more about the Rewild Group at rewildgroup.com, or you can follow us on LinkedIn. 
Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.